Today we finish our sermon series called The Church Is. Let me remind you why it is that we've done this sermon series. It is so easy for us, especially in northern Virginia, for all of us to get caught up in the dailiness of life with work and family and school and friends and everything else and forget God's purposes for us. As Wayne mentioned earlier, God created us as human beings, and he has purposes for us both individually and as a church family. And God's purposes for us are interwoven with our daily lives. His purposes for us are not an add-on, and they're not just for Sundays. It's every day of the week. So let me take a minute and review what we've looked at the last few weeks. First, as a, as a church family, we are a community. God takes people with different backgrounds, different personalities, different ways of thinking, and he makes us into one spiritual family with the direction for us to work together, and again, not just on Sundays. And this community that he calls us to be is not a closed community. Then, as a church family, we're worshipers. All of us worship many things every day. To worship something or someone is to praise and enjoy and in delight in them. And I shared how when I was in college, I used to see when the weather was good, warmer than it is today, that people would be out with their sports cars, washing, waxing, cleaning out the inside. They were enjoying and delighting in their cars. They were worshiping their cars. Well, the one person that we don't naturally worship is God. And so God changes Christians and calls us then to worship him above everything and everyone else. And it's when we do worship God first that all of our other loves and our worship will be rightly ordered. Then as a church family, we're disciple makers, and a disciple is a follower of Jesus. And we saw in Ephesians 4 that God equips each Christian for the work of service that he plans for us. And when all the people in a church family do their work, the result is that we all grow spiritually and we also follow Jesus more. As a church family, we're witnesses. God calls all of us to witness. And by witness, I mean God calls us to share who God is and what God has done and is doing in our lives. And he wants us to share with the people around us that we see as we go through each day, both Christians and non-Christians. And if you see the connection, if we are sharing who God is and what God is doing in our life with the people around us, those that are Christians, we're encouraging them to grow and become followers of Jesus more and more. And if God is the center of your life, that is your daily life, it'll be natural for you and I to talk about God. And then finally, last week, we saw that the church, as a church family, we are counselors. God gives us counsel in the Bible, direction, advice, wisdom, not only so that we can follow it personally, but so that you and I can help others by sharing God's wisdom with them. And today we finish the sermon series with a sermon on one anothering, which was actually asked for after we finished or did the first sermon on being a community. So remain seated and let's read together our first verse for today. 1 John 4, verse 7. Let's read. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. 
Anyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Now, I just shared with you why we're doing the series. I want to take just a minute and share with you why we're looking at these one anothering verses. And if you'll put up the slide. Two hearts. Saw this slide last week. The heart on, on this side on your left is all of us. Every person since Adam and Eve except Jesus. And again, I call the little guy in the heart, middle of the heart the green monster. We're born this way. The heart says, this heart says, life is all about me. I want what I want. My way is the right way, and I will punish you if you don't help me get what I want. Now, if you doubt that that is true, try raising a toddler. Okay? A little person about so high, maybe 25 pounds soaking wet, standing up to a full-grown adult saying, no, I don't want to, and threatening to punish if the adult tries to make life difficult. Right? On one hand, you look at it and say, that's ridiculous. Yet that's us. That's the green monster. Green monster represents our selfish nature that the Bible calls the flesh. And in our modern Western culture, it elevates self and it elevates individualism. So it's feeding the monster. What happens when you feed a monster? It gets bigger. And it's only, now think about that. If we as adults, if there was not any restraint at all, and we were all adult toddlers, I want what I want. You've got to help me get what I want. But we're doing this to each other. It's only the restraining work of God's Spirit that keeps us all from complete pain and misery that we'd be doing on each other. The other heart represents a Christian. A person who's in relationship with God because God came to them and began that relationship and put His Spirit in them represented by the cross. But again, notice that for this life, the green monster is still there, the selfish nature. And so, as we saw last week, the Christian life is unlearning selfish ways and learning God's ways. And today, as we look at these verses on one anothering, we're seeing God's way for us to live. And God's way counteracts our natural selfishness. So if you go to the next slide, I had two verses that I wanted us to look at in terms of the command to love one another. The first one we just read, 1 John 4, 7. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another. In the Greek, that word in the New Testament for love is agape. Greek was a very specific language. They had four different words for love. And the New Testament church borrowed one and said, we're going to use it to refer to the kind of love that God has and the kind of love that God gives Christians. Agape love. And notice what, in fact, what the verse says. That agape love comes from God. Then he goes on to say, anyone who loves with agape love is born of God, has been given spiritual life by God. Anyone who loves knows God, has a personal relationship with God, which God initiates. And this agape love is different from the kind of love that you hear about in the gym and on the radio with the different songs. But we still see traces of agape love around, but it's mixed with selfishness. And then the second verse, John 13, 
34 and 35. This is Jesus speaking. He says, so now, excuse me, I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. In John, it's the same word in the Greek for love, agape. And this is the kind of love that God has for us. And when you look at God's love for us, you see it's a giving love. It's a sacrificial love. It's an others-focused love. It's the kind of love that you and I naturally, again, with the toddler, you don't see that. You see a mix of love and selfishness. It's important to remember when we talk about love and this command, God commands Christians to love and the only people who truly can love with a copy of love are Christians. People that have a relationship with God. But remember the picture of the hearts with the cross and the green monster. We still have a selfish nature. And so often... Christians don't love with agape love. And you know what? When we get called on not loving that way, we should raise our hands and say, yep, that's me. I was being selfish then. But the person who speaks to us and says, why weren't you loving the way you should? You recognize they're using agape love as the standard? And saying, why don't you meet the standard? Why, why did you match? So even if we as Christians fail, Christianity and the agape love is still there as the standard that we have. One other thought that we see about agape love is that it is first a choice and second a feeling, which means you can love when you don't feel like it because you choose to do what you need to do. And we'll see some examples in just a minute. Now Jesus says, I'm giving you a new commandment, love each other. That's not the new part. Actually, that's been said before. The new part is what comes next where he says, just as I have loved you, you should love each other. So he gives us the standard. You and I, in terms of relating to other people, are to love each other the way Jesus loves us. And when you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you look at the life of Jesus, you see that Jesus' love was genuine. It was giving. It was sacrificial. And when he loved others, he did not compromise the truth, and he didn't compromise God's law. Yet in all of that, he is, he is loving. Now, as we're going to see this morning, each one of these one another's, and you've got the list of the one another's we're looking at this morning in the bulletin, has an opposite. So instead of naturally loving others, we naturally love ourselves. And we want others to love us. So, for example, if you love me and I love me, well, that's great for me. But it makes for a very one-sided relationship. Okay, it makes for a bad relationship. Well, what does this agape love look like? Well, if you'll notice in your bulletin at the bottom below the scripture, you've got a reference to paultrip.com, 23 ways to love people better, and Wednesday Word. I, I know about this because I get the email, and you can guess what day of the week I get the email, Wednesday. But if you go to his website, paultrip.com, and look under the menus, you will find Wednesday Word. And this last Wednesday's was... 23 ways to love people better. So let me share just a few of those with you. Let's talk about agape love. This is what it looks like. Agape love is being willing to have your life complicated by the needs and struggles with, uh, of others without impatience or anger. 
Agape love is actively fighting the temptation to be critical and judgmental toward another person while looking for ways to encourage and praise them. Agape love is making a daily commitment to admit your sin, your weakness, and your failure and to resist the temptation to offer an excuse or to shift the blame. Oh, he's gotten really personal, hadn't he, with this. Agape love is being willing to always ask forgiveness and always being committed to grant forgiveness when it is requested. Agape love is speaking kindly and gently, even in moments of disagreement, refusing to attack the other person's character or assault their intelligence. Those last three words means you don't call them stupid. Now, you look at this list, and I would encourage you to go to the website and read all 23. But what you recognize is, oh my goodness, you and I cannot do this in our own ability. We can't. We need God working in us. In fact, that's what the verses have been saying. That the only way that we can love others like this consistently is with God working in us. Well, another question that comes with that, how do you and I grow this kind of love? I have two thoughts, and the first one I want to make sure you write down. First, look more deeply at how God loves you. You want to grow in this God-like love? Look more deeply at how God loves you, and when you do, be specific. For example, here we are today. The fact that you and I are alive is a gift from God. The fact that we have a day today is another gift. The fact that we're healthy and able to be here is a gift. The sunshine with the promise of things warming up is another gift. The friends that we have, the family, every one of those, every good thing we have, it's a gift. God has provided. God gives. So when you start getting very specific, you realize all the different ways, begin to realize all the ways that God loves us. And you and I don't do this enough. We don't. The more we do, the more we are going to be thankful. The more we will be doing what was talked about earlier, that how God delights God the Father, Son, and Spirit delight in each other. The more we go through this list and see how God provides and cares and how patient He is and forgiving He is and all the other parts of His character, the more we're going to delight in Him. And the second way is to ask God to build this kind of love into you. But be ready. Because when you do, He's going to put you in situations where your life gets complicated by other people. And you're going to be tempted to be critical and judgmental and the other things that are there. Yet it's worth it. One anothering number two, Galatians 5, 13 and 14. For you have been called to live in freedom, not freedom to satisfy your sinful nature, but freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. So the command, serve one another. And the opposite, we naturally want others to serve us. Of course we do. In the letter to the Galatians, to the Christians in Galatia, Paul is writing because some teachers have come in behind him and have said, oh yeah, you want to love Jesus, that's great. But here's what you really need to do. And they pulled out this whole list of rules. 
If you follow all these rules, God will smile at you. God will like you. And you'll be good with God and you'll get what you want. And so Paul here is talking about freedom as freedom from the idea that you have to keep all these rules to be loved by God and to escape punishment and all these things. But connected with it also is this idea that we also need to be freed from our selfishness. And when we are, we can then be directed by God. We can love others and serve others. And how does God free us from the requirements to keep a list of rules? He forgives us. He adopts us. He gives us Jesus' perfect record of obedience. And then he says, after, after doing that, serve one another. And you can see, as you saw those examples that I gave you, that serving is related to biblical love. Serving others requires us to sacrifice our own plans and our time and our energy. A very common example of this is parenting. That is good parenting. Where you do sacrifice time and energy and plans for your children. And how do you know who to serve? You can ask God give you eyes to see, but let me make it simpler. Look in your daily relationships. For example, the family's home. You know the mom's gone out to get the groceries. You hear mom come back, and the door opens. You pause what you're doing. You go help mom bring in the groceries. You're at work, and you see you walk past somebody's desk that you know, and you see they're trying to work on a project that'll go a whole lot better if there's two hands or two heads and you've got a few minutes. You can give them five minutes, ten minutes to help them out. What are you doing? You're serving them. Sometimes we can take any good thing that God gives us and mess it up. We can go too far with our serving. How do you, how do you keep from ser serving others from becoming overwhelming? Well, one, you and I ask God for wisdom, recognize He's infinite and we are not. So, he doesn't call us to help every single person we see. He knows who he wants us to help. Number three, Ephesians 4, 31 and 32. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words and slander, as well as all types of malicious behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. We looked at these verses last week. Our tendency when somebody has hurt us or failed us is we get angry and we want to punish them somehow, whether that hurt or failure was real or imagined. God says, no, don't go that in direction. Be kind, tender-hearted. You don't excuse their struggles, but you recognize if they are in struggles that that's part of what's going on. But then the other side of it is you also then remember the times you have failed. So that when you look at the situation, you realize, well, you know, there are times that I've been angry, I've been greedy, I've been selfish. Whatever it is they're doing, you've done the same thing. And the differences are in, maybe in degree, but not in kind. We're all guilty in that sense. But you notice at the bottom of the, of the screen... The definition, the, the what forgive means. It means that you and I choose to not hold the offense against the other person. You make a choice. I'm not going to hold this against you. You're not minimizing what they did wrong. You're not blowing it out of proportion and dumping other stuff into it. 
saying, here it is. This is what you said. This is what you did. But I'm choosing to not hold it against you so that we can actually have a good relationship. And I can be used by God to love you and to do good to you. But then in the verse, you notice it gives the standard. God gives the standard. We are to forgive others the same way that God forgives us. Completely. Every time. No exceptions. On the flip side, you and I are to ask forgiveness when we have offended somebody else, whether we intentionally did it, it was unintentional, or we might not have even been aware of it. But still, once we are aware, Matthew 5 says, if you know that your brother has something against you, somebody else is upset with something you've done, go and make it right with them. Number four, Ephesians 5, 18 to 21. Don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Instead, let the Holy Spirit fill and control you. Then you will sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, making music to the Lord in your hearts. And you will always give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And further, you will submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, when he says don't be drunk with wine, he's not limiting it to just wine, and it's okay to get drunk with other stuff. Okay? He says, no, don't get drunk at all. Instead, let the Holy Spirit fill you. Open yourself up to God. Ask God, ask the Holy Spirit to fill you and control you. And that's a good thing because God is wise and powerful and good. And here's the results. Verse 19, you and I will praise and worship God. He certainly deserves to be. Verse 20, we'll give thanks to God. This is again related to thinking of all the different ways that God does good to us. But then verse 21, hmm. Praise God, give thanks to God. And then it seems like he just went in another direction. Submit to one another. Well, the opposite. We naturally want others to submit to us. And we naturally resist submitting to others. Go back to the toddler. Remember the example. Why does God put this in here? Because he made us as human beings. We are limited. We don't know everything. We don't see everything. So there are things we do not know that others do. There are things that we do not see, things that we're blind to <clears throat> that others do. God made us to need others to speak into our lives. And as they speak, we listen and give weight to what they say. We don't just automatically dismiss it. You see, in submitting to others, you and I are trusting that God is using the other person in our life. But also because there's still brokenness in the world, we test what we're being told by that person against God's word. If it lines up, we ought to be listening. Let me cover the last two briefly. Philippians 2.2, 2, Paul actually combines three different thoughts here. Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, that's one, loving one another, and working together with one heart and purpose. God made us, we talked about community, that God made us with different personalities, with different ways of seeing, different abilities. The natural result of that is that we're not going to work together because, of course, my way of seeing is the right way. And if you don't agree, then you must be wrong, obviously. 
The only way that you and I can work together as Christians is if we all agree to do the work that God gives us and to do it God's way and do it so that each one of us is doing our part. So maybe I have a piece and you have a piece and you have a piece and you have a piece. And God wants all the pieces together, working together. Finally, Hebrews 10.24. Think of ways to encourage one another to outbursts of love and good deeds. All of us need encouragement at times. We all struggle at times when we're tired, when we're sick, when we've had challenges and difficulties. And God calls us to encourage, that is to give courage, to give strength to each other. I've seen this kind of thing happen watching football games. Now, I'm not a big sports fan, but more than once I've seen this happen as I'm watching a football game and my team is behind, and it just seems like they just cannot click that day. They just can't quite get things together. And so you're into the fourth quarter and they're behind and you think they're going to lose. And then all of a sudden, somebody on your team makes a good play. Maybe they get the first down. And then a couple of plays later, somebody else makes a good play. And what you see, you can almost see the team just kind of stand straighter. You can see the energy kind of coming back to them. What's happening? There's an encouragement that's happening with them. Well, God doesn't call us all to the football field. But he does call us to give encouragement, spiritual encouragement to each other, to look to God, to trust God, to obey God, and to delight in Him. But in order for us to encourage each other, we need to be in places where we can actually see each other and be close enough to know what's going on in their lives, to sense if there's any discouragement or tiredness. So that can, doesn't really happen here. It can happen in conversations, one-on-one. -on -one. It happens in small groups and when you work in ministry or when you're working together at work or in school where there's a connection, you can encourage each other. So this morning we've looked at these one-anothers, to love one another, serve one another, forgive one another, submit to one another, to work together and to encourage. And those are just some of the one-anothers. There's more in the Bible. Again, why does God command us to love one another? First, he made us to need each other. At times, we are on the receiving end of that one anothering, and sometimes we're on the giving end, which reminds me of our church motto, side by side. And God works. His plan is to work through us in this one anothering in our daily lives. Remember the, the hearts. Our natural selfishness is there, and our natural selfishness increases the spiritual darkness around us as we're being selfish and proud and other things. Our one-anothering pushes back the spiritual darkness. Our one-anothering is a part of God restoring what is broken. God calls us to this one-anothering, to copy Him in caring for others. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You. We thank You for Your Word we thank you that you lead us. You call us to love, you love us first. You call us to serve, you serve us first. You call us to forgive, you forgive us first. We thank you for that. <clears throat> we thank you for your goodness, for calling us to a life of hope, 
hope because of you, because of your goodness and greatness. Help us to remember as we go through life that we're copying you as we love and care for others. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.